Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to The Horror Hangout, a podcast where film fans watch the best and worst horror movies of all time and talk about them. My name is Andy Conduit-Turner, and no Ben this week, he's uh, otherwise engaged, but that's okay, because I'm joined by a very special guest, uh, John Lees. Uh, you're a comic book writer, you're based in Glasgow, Scotland. Credits to your name that I have listed here, I'm sure it's more extensive, include The Crimson Cage, The Last Ride of the Pillar and Pride, Sink, then Emily was gone, and of note, upcoming by the t- time of release, this week's release, the nasty. Welcome, John. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. I like that little hesitation before name. Like, is it John Leeds? <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, no, um, I'm happy to be on. I'm sorry that Ben's not here, but I do think it's like you know what quite fitting for the movie we're discussing the people like mysteriously disappear. Like I'm in my head, I'm thinking Jason's got more already. Like you know when he's coming yeah. from the bus. Yeah, he did text me actually, saying he'd be right back. So, um, oh, he didn't <laughs> he's, back. he's oh. blown it. We talked about Scream last week, Ben. What you've been doing? <laughs> um, so, John, where to where to begin? Horror comics is is your trade, right? I've been lucky enough to read the nasty that we'll talk about in detail, but uh, a number of your books over the years. Where did where did horror comics begin for you? Oh, I guess like I've always loved horror like probably even longer than I've loved comics because I've loved comics for pretty much as long as I can remember but um for me like I'd, my first comic wasn't a horror comic I did a superhero book called The Standard but I very quickly kind of found myself gravitating towards horror I think it was like um you know reading like Uzumaki by Junji Ito and a couple of other books around that form of time when I was first getting into making comics made me think like one just at the stage when I was thinking, I'm really excited about the potential of making comics. Reading these horror comics made me think I'm even more excited about the potential of making horror comics and what can we do in this medium, you know, to try and scare people or do like, you know, what other mediums do. Because for me, I think horror comics are quite fascinating because of how difficult they are, because mm-hmm. so many of the tools traditionally are associated with horror don't work for comics. It's like on the surface, quite counterintuitive. Like, um, for example, like a horror book, like a novel, 
is really scary because the author can describe um like things that I know and I know they put it in the reader's head like so they can imagine something that's like scarier than anybody can draw or anybody could like you know put in a movie that's why I think um no adaptation of the portrait of Dorian Gray is ever going to be as good as the book because no picture that like, you know is going to be in a movie is going to be as scary as the picture that the reader imagines in their head. Yeah, you can't um, replicate that portrait, can you? And you certainly can't yeah. do a Lovecraft with all his yeah, like, oh, yeah, like horrors. Indescribable, like, you know, you oh, could you describe it? No, I couldn't possibly. Such a lazy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, it's no way of describing this thing. You'd go mad if I tried. I tried, but you know, you'd lose it. <laughs> but, but like you know, but obviously comics don't have that. We have to show it. We you know like. An artist has to draw something that's scarier than what the reader imagines for it to be scary. And similarly, like films have the big advantage of having sound. Like, you know, they have like jump scares, they have scores, they have sound design. Comics are silent, so they don't have that advantage either. So it's kind of like the worst of both worlds of like, you know, film and, you know, TV and sorry, and books in terms of like scaring people. But I think that if you can kind of get a hang of the medium, there's like little corners of ways to find things that are scary, whether it be figuring out pacing, the dynamic of page turns and things like that. And I always I just thought it was like something that was really rich for exploring and kind of like charting new ground possibly. So that's what drew me to making horror comics. Oh, and then I must say, what a, what a great medium to be in as well. Horror comics, as you say, a lot of fun. And you can do things that you can't, like, you know, those challenges aside, I think there are things that you can deliver in comics that you don't see elsewhere as well. And obviously, we talk about the transitions on between mediums as well. Uh, you know, those movie studios yeah. are burning through superhero books pretty fast. They'll come for horror comics anytime now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, you know, and like I say, I think it's interesting because there has been some adaptation of horror comics. So, you know, like, I mentioned Junji Ito, who's like a manga horror creator like they've tried to make a couple of like movies and like animated adaptations and none of them have really worked so far because there's something about that still image you know and like the rendering of it that like the moving image just can't capture quite the same i don't think and you know like so comics is quite interesting you know like uniquely kind of like suited to kind of tell in particular types of stories and kind of like gelling in people's heads and kind of settling in people's brains you know so I think it's interesting, an interesting challenge to see how people try and adapt um, horror comics to other mediums in the future. Yeah, you've called it out there. That I've seen the first episode of the recent Junji Ito series on yeah. Netflix, and it's good. It has some great things about it, but I, I, I struggle just from that one episode so far to really replicate some of the things. I think the biggest advantage of comics is if you get a great reveal and a great image, that's something that really becomes indelible and that burns on yeah. um, we'll use Junji Ito as an example that the uh, I forget the name of the story now the translation but the one you know this hole was made for me one with those people oh like, yeah, compelled uh-huh. to go, yeah terrifying stuff and the there you go glad, I'm glad someone's uh, well researched <laughs> but yeah I, I think they're fantastic those really indelible moments that will stick with you almost permanently i've seen some there's some other things like james tinney and the fourth has done some fantastic horror stuff as well um he's on a real roll right now he's yeah. doing all kinds of good stuff um nice house at the lake um department of truth the closet um he's got a whole bunch of good stuff out there yeah there's some there's some great horror comics but we couldn't have uh yourself on and not talk about your latest so 
at time of recording, um, the first issue of The Nasty is available in comic shops. This new comic book, yes, day, right? I, um, issue one was released. I'm talking like in the future. So issue one was released on Wednesday, 5th of April. Um, so yeah, you can get to your local comic shop and pick it up if it's available because it's already sold out at the distributor level. So it's only available while stocks last until that second printing comes out next month. Amazing. And I've been lucky enough, um, the good folks sent out some previews. I've read issue one. Um, if I hadn't already spoken to you, John, and known some of your background, you can see the love of your of your eighties and you know your slasher genre horrors straight up there. But for those who haven't had the chance to read it yet, tell us tell us everyone a little bit about it. Okay, so the nasty is a coming of age horror comedy set in nineteen nineties Scotland against the backdrop of the video nasties moral panic. Um, normally at this stage would go into a bigger side explaining like the history of the video nasties, but obviously this is a cultured horror audience that probably yeah. already know all that. These so. guys know we I think most of our listeners have a list of video nasties to seek out. Certainly one of our guests has yeah. talked about yeah. her rich and varied history of those were the films that she would hunt for as a as a child and a teenager. Yeah, no, like, that's the great thing. Like Mary Whitehouse's legacy after wanting to raise these movies was like creating like a wish list for horror fans yeah. to enjoy for generations to come. But yeah, so the, the story revolves around Thumper Connell, who's this kind of lonely, horror-loving teenager who still has an imaginary friend from his childhood. And that imaginary friend is Red Ennis, who was the star of his favourite slasher movie. Um, so Thumper and some other horror-loving oddballs kind of congregate at a local video shop to, on the down low, watch these banned horror movies. And they manage to get their hands on a rare, elusive copy of the most widely banned, forbidden video nasty of all, House of Creeping Flesh. And things get crazy from there. I don't know, I'm not sure how much I want to spoil, but um, things take some unexpected turns. Yeah. Um, and just as a starter, like I've only seen the first issue that I've read through, greatly enjoyed it. So um, I'm going to be in for the series. Um, is it, It's a limited series, right? How long are it we running for? It is an eight issue series. Um, so I think I've, I need to keep on saying I'm going to look this up and I keep on forgetting. I think over six issues, but under 12 counts as a maxi series. So not quite a mini, but not quite an ongoing. But um, so yeah, eight issues long. So that'll take us through the rest of the year. And that's going to be coming out. Um, Art is by George Camdeus and Adam Cahoon for the first two issues. Then Adam Cahoon takes over our duties from issue three onwards. Um, Colours from issue three onwards are Kurt Michael Russell and our letter for the whole book is Jim Campbell. Um, it's published by Vault Comics, and yeah, Vault Comics are kind of a publisher on the rise, so they've got a, kind of quite a good reach in comic shops. So you should be able to find this book where you're at, as I say, if you can get hold of it because it has sold out. But yeah. um, if you let your comic shop know that you want it, um, either they will set aside a copy on the shelf, um, or they can reorder the second printing, which is available for pre-order now. Amazing, and you know, we'll cross genres here. Like you know, we talk horror, but we talk comics a fair amount as well. If you've got, if you're lucky enough to be in a town that has a local comic book store, get us, get yourselves in, get them supported. If the changes in viewing habits for the Netflix generation has taught us anything, is that we're over binging now. And as much as Vault do a really lovely trade paperback, it's the type of thing you want to get in your in your monthlies and your floppies. Get those in. Yeah, get so, those episodic installments. Yeah, exactly. We're over binging these days. It's all about the weekly or monthly releases. So get your orders in. Follow this along if you're a horror fan. Because I have read the first one. I think you're going to enjoy yourself. 
Um, so we talked about, uh, you know, you talked about the the slasher influences and the video nasties. Let's go, let's go back to you a little bit, John. Um, tell us yeah. about a little bit about your not as a creator but as a fan. Tell it us a little bit about your horror history. What 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 drew you into the genre as a fan? Well, I've always like loved horror. Like I'm talking, I'm not talking about like from like my teens, but I'm talking about when I was like a little little kid. Mm-hmm. Like some of my earliest memories were like enjoying horror. Like um, there's pictures of me as like. A toddler essentially like you know with like you know like me baby blonde hair and stuff walking around carrying like frankenstein and dracula action figures like you know from like the old ghostbusters line back in the day yeah um you know and so in that kind of light and so i think that translated into me watching monster squad when i would have been about again like three or four years old like really young and then i was hooked from there essentially like because we had a video shop in our street um like the nasty is set in Rutherglen, um, and which is where I was, I grew up in Rutherglen. I was born, you know, like so I was born around that area. I was born in Rutherglen Maternity, like grew up in Rutherglen Main Street. Um, and in the nasty, uh Thumper walks down Main Street to go to Monster Dome Video. For me, Monster Dome Video was uh Video World, which was on Rutherglen Main Street back when I was a little kid. And this was about maybe like a five minute walk from my house. So I was allowed to just like walk down to the video shop at a young age and like walk in and see what I wanted to get. And like, I don't think I'm getting anyone in trouble now because the shop's long closed. But let's just say that the proprietors of this video shop were very permissive. So I would like walk in and have a look around and I'd come home with like Peter Pan and Maniac Cop 3 Badge of Silence. Oh. <laughs> I know, you know, or like you know, house <laughs> or child play too. Like, you know, so I was like getting my horror education from a very young age, like watching all these things. Um, and like, and I just like you know, and you know what it's like. The great thing about the video shops back in the day, where they had such a curated collection that, and that shop was very horror focused. So certain movies that worldwide weren't a big deal at all like you'd think were the biggest movies around. Like I, I went through a period of like a year where I just like hired out Freet. Um, you know, like the Bill Winters, uh, or sorry, like Alex Winters, um, who played Bill and Bill and Ted. Yeah. This kind of like career destroying folly that he made, um, when he wrote, directed, produced, and starred in it. And I th- I still to this day think it is like a lost classic. Um, I I hired that movie out on loop essentially for a year. Um, and yeah, so that was kind of like my kind of like big horror education as a kid, really getting into that form of age. And then you mentioned Scream. Like I remember I saw Scream in like the. But a year after that came out, maybe nineteen ninety seven, I would have got that in video, and then that just like took me to the next level, and I was wanting to go back and seek out all the classics and stuff, and became a horror connoisseur from that point on, and I've just never looked back. I think Scream is a real; it's got a lot to answer for as like a nineties gateway drug because, for you know, obviously it plays on all of those tropes and everything like that as well. But I, we watched them all again recently because we, you know, the new one was out, and we're doing a series ranking. Um, so we watched all the screams again every line of dialogue which isn't to serve character or exactly what's on the screen is a reference to a horror there are several scenes yeah. where they are just banging out titles oh it's just like x y and z <laughs> um the list is extensive and it's got deeper cuts in there than you would you know i mean what would you expect Wes craven yeah like you know like and i think like you know there's something that i think a lot of movies which are kind of like slipping out of pop culture prominence got a nice revival to like be mentioned in Scream and something that always cracks me up is that in the first Scream movie they're all sitting around the house watching Halloween um, and when I first saw I'd already seen Halloween like by that point um, you know when I first watched Scream but in my mind like Halloween was an old movie and they're all hanging around watching an old movie but right now 
the first Scream is older than Halloween was when Scream first came out. Oh no, that's like one of those, you're closer to Cleopatra than she was to the pyramids or something equally upsetting. <laughs> oh, that is I know, crazy. It's like, you know, it's just wild how like time passes and like, you know, with these things and they carry on and what was kind of like the snappy kind of like young, you know, rebel, this is a new wave of horror has became like one of the canon and one of like the old guard now. You know, I think that's kind of fascinating how things go. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, it is a fascinating point. And what do you do? You see any new films that are coming out now that you think it's hard to tell, isn't it? Because you because you can't predict the I future. Know, you but... can never really judge what's going to be like, you know, a franchise, whatever. And it's a diff- It's particularly difficult now because a lot of like horror right now, or like franchise type horror, is legacy horror, and it's like bringing back the old IP and the old content. Like you know, let's revive Chucky, which is a great series. I really enjoy the Chucky series. You know, or let's revive like Halloween for the new trilogy, or this or that. And like so, because we're so focused on doing that, there's less like you know, let's create a new, let's create a new Freddy Krueger, let's create a new Jason Voorhees. Like probably the closest thing in recent years to that would be like you know Megan, like you know from like you know like the yeah. I think Megan's got some. I think Megan's got some likes. Yeah, that could be somebody that could have like five or six sequels or something like you know to come of steadily declining quality, you know, over the next decade or so. Yeah, when when she hits space. <laughs> um, well, you know, so I, I think that's like you know, obviously something, that we, and obviously now we're all about elevated horror and stuff. So it's all about let's do like let's what one-off stories and things people aren't thinking about. Let's create a iconic slasher that we can mar- market and merchandise and do this or that with. Yeah, I think we could do with some more. I mean, Megan's probably the closest we have. I guess or, franchise but... stuff. We've had The Conjuring, which I guess yeah. it has Annabelle that has a, a number of things. So it's obviously about little yeah, dollies now. None, Robots you know, and other you know. ones. Yeah, like yeah, the whole conjuring verse. Um, well, have well, haven't said that right? for all of that conjuring stuff. I think the first couple of conjuring movies were good, and you know, like you know, James Wan's done good stuff with it. But I kind of feel that like you know, Malignant, Loki, kind of like top them all. Like you know, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, um, Malignant is one that really grew on me. I think I came out of watching it. Uh, I had it on. I missed it at the cinema. I had it on VOD, and then when I got round to seeing it, I spent. I came out of it first, and was that really bad? Was that really? And then. <laughs> And then over time, I've sort of thought about it and said, actually, I am still thinking about this film a lot later. And then once you understand that it's deliberate uh, and then, you know, some of the choices they make and then that turn at the end, it really, yeah, yeah, it like really, that, that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's what oh, I want. Like, I, want... I don't want to spoil it for anyone who's not like you know. Oh, we've done a full spoiler episode, John. You're quite safe. We won't spoil it here, but uh, <laughs> you're a regular listener. You've heard us go through it in in painful detail. But yeah, I I really like like those iconic horror figures you can get. And you're right, between Malignant and Megan, what I want is really noticeable and really memorable horror character silhouettes. What I want is yeah. things that you can put into a Mortal Kombat game and I can play as later, you know, with my Freddies and my Jasons and so on as well. What a, what a time. Yeah, yeah you, want, you want new characters, new icons. Like, you know, and it's difficult because, like we've said, like the slasher genre is having something of a moment right now, but... Slashers in general are quite a difficult genre to do something new with because perhaps more than like any genre, slashers are so backward looking. They're all about like, you know, referencing themselves and referencing their own lore and like the idea of the final girl and like, you know, the archetypes and all that stuff. That it's hard to do something like fresh that doesn't feel like pastiche, it doesn't feel like, you know, it's um perhaps possibly in terms of the slasher genre, maybe like 
the best example of someone doing something new or doing something interesting would be Ty West with his trilogy, you know, X and Peril and Maxine that are coming out, that's coming out next. Like, you know, they're all kind of like very different movies, you know, but they have a kind of like shared world and recurring characters. So maybe that's an example of like doing something fresh with Yeah, I think this, I think there's still, there's some phenomenally talented filmmakers working in horror now. So yeah, I'm interested to see what they could do with it. And again, as much as we can lament some of the choices people make with legacy sequels and so on, I still always turn up for them. Like, I think my re- re- reaction to the Halloween trilogy recently was that they did a perfect ending for Michael Myers in the first of those three movies. Yeah, and then, and then brought them back for two. another <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah, I had the exact same thought. I was like, you know, that, uh, that end in the first film was a perfect spot on so why did they do another two? The almighty dollar called them yeah, back yeah, in. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and it was... And I, I, actually, I actually looked back, like, you know, at my, letter, my letterbox review for Halloween 2018. Um, and at the end of the review, I wrote, like, you know, this was a really satisfying, enjoyable movie. Let's just hope they don't spoil it by doing it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> that said, though, it's like if someone built a Jurassic Park now. I would still go, like, I'm excited by the fact, by the news reports that they've apparently... I don't want to don't want to jinx anything. Have they allegedly resolved all of the legal issues behind Friday the Thirteenth ownership? We may be getting a new I, one. I don't know. Every single time I hear that they've maybe done that, and then some new curveball comes, and it's like naturally no, they've not. You know, some, so someone's lawyer change shifts, and it's like actually, I found a ton more stuff in this contract that's no good. <laughs> I know. Like, I think like obviously with the Friday Thirteenth, they're doing a new one. This may be this may be conversation for like after we've discussed the movie, but just broadly speaking, like. The problem with like Friday the 13th is one legal because of all like the kind of like entanglements and what have her, but also just like the continuity is such a hot mess. It's like where do you take the story? Like yeah. if you're gonna do like, another version. I'm like a broken record on this. Um you mentioned enjoying Chucky as a series in Child's yeah. Play. One mm-hmm. of the greatest advantages I think that Chucky has ever had is retaining a single Dolman. creative yeah. voice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that he has retained the ownership and you know, he's directed some, he's had a writing hand in all of them. Having someone that is responsible for it rather than it completely changing hands and having someone else come in and say, no, no, I'm going to make this my idea now has been yeah. to the strength of this movie. This is how we yeah. are. So many Chucky yeah. movies in and he's not got to space yet. Yeah, no, like, you know, so much stuff. I'm like, you know, and I think like Chucky's an interesting franchise because like, I think all the movies are all of varying quality, but they all have something in them that's interesting or something in them that's worth watching. Their best are grey, but even like the weaker ones, like I don't know, Seed of Chucky, is still an enjoyable movie for me. It still has elements that I like. Um, and I think that one of the great things about having the one creative voice involved in it all is that let's say in Chucky the series, they can bring back elements from Seed of Chucky and go, actually, let's recontextualize this to make it make sense. And within, you know, and from past to this world, and you know, but because it's all what the one person doing it all kind of like works and feels cohesive. Yeah, it certainly does. And then hopefully, I don't know if as you say, Friday the 13th will be a little harder to reconcile. But yeah. um, yeah, I'm I'm interested to see what they do. And as much as the previous attempt at restoring it has had problems i think there's so much wonderful stuff with modern filmmaking techniques and modern storytelling that you could do with freddy krueger these days i think you could do something phenomenal with it yeah 
the big, I think Freddie, like, narratively speaking, I think there's a lot of potential for um, Nightmare on Elm Street and the things you could do with that, like in the directions you could take it. Um, I think the biggest setback for them is going to be doing any version of Nightmare on Elm Street that doesn't have Robert England because yeah. he's so indelible and he's so like involved in it. But in terms of the actual war, it's interesting. But I think at one point I kind of like tried to spitball ideas of like how I would do like you know a revival of Nightmare on Elm Street, and I was thinking of exploring just the wider lore of like this is obviously some kind of like world where. Um, Freddy is just one person or like one of many entities who have like powers in the dream realm like you know where you have like you know like the dream child or whatever so the dream master of issue mm-hmm. of episode four or film four and you have like you know all the kind of like superpower dream kids of the dream warriors like you know and I like that idea of like you know maybe like going into like the town and exploring that deeper lore and Freddy is part of that and like you can maybe do kind of versions of like different people see different incarnations of Freddy or you know and just have like Robert England be one of several of them like you know to kind of ease the transition into him like you know maybe aging out of it um and I think like there's like interesting things you could do with that world and that lore and yeah like you know Part of me think part of me thinks it is quite nice that both um Freddy and Jason had their last hurrah in Freddy versus mm-hmm. Jason. But um if you wanted to do more, um I think there's some potential that you could do it. I turn up didn't, and I um, certainly turn up and watch him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, didn't um I forget his name. Haunt of Hill House. Um who's the director of that? I forget. Oh, I would uh Mike Flanagan. Mike Flanagan, he said he has a pitch for like a, a new Nightmare on Elm Street revival, like you know, that he's been shopping around, but he hasn't had anyone bite yet. Oh, it's a shame because I think if someone could do it, Mike Flanagan is very good at like the ongoing scare. And that's what's so good about Nightmare on Elm Street is because I think any other horror film you can watch and be like, oh, that was a scary horror film, even if it's scary. Like you can find, you can watch them, it's very scary, and you think, oh, that, that was scary. I'll. Uh, you know, I'll sit and think about something nice because you know, I, um, but I, you can reconcile yourself that it isn't real, and then you can do the same when you go and watch a Nightmare on Elm Street film. But I think part of the worry, Ben, certainly for me as a kid growing up, like, what if I get scared by this and have nightmares about it? That is, that's perfect. That is, yeah. perfect. that is like a real existential dread you can drive out of that film i mean i have memories of it lying awake at night thinking i don't want to fall asleep in case yeah. i have bad dreams Freddy will get me. <laughs> yeah. uh, before we get into the film of the week let me cover a little bit of um news um so hot off the press um a couple of folks over in the u.s that were apparently going to a screening of uh, an ariasta movie were surprised when rather than seeing one of his previous hits they actually saw an early screening of his upcoming movie, Bo is Afraid. Um, yeah, what a nice surprise that was. Um, apparently it's sounding really good. Um, people have said it's like a real creeping dread about it, that it is like an absolute panic attack of a movie. Um, I'm looking forward to it, but unfortunately yeah. for us, our release date is like a month behind the US's again. So we can watch that been happening all the time right now. It seems like you yeah. get like belated releases again. But I'm looking forward to both as both as I think it's interesting because people have been talking about like what a big departure that is because the trail is like it's more funny, it's more like mm-hmm. comedy and elements and things like this. Like, you know, but one, I think that's underselling the potential for this to actually still be scary. Like, as people say, it could still be like anxiety driven and whatever. But also, it undersells how funny Midsummer and even Hereditary are in places. Like, you know, like even when they're really grim and really harrowing, like they do still have that streak of humor. I think clearly is able to do that. 
that that's you know classic horror and you're right even though Ariaster's movies are in many cases some of the more in, in terms of mainstream releases that get a cinema release some of the more horrific and intense horror that you'll yeah. that you'll see on screen right you say about underselling it i heard uh, a scene of uh, midsummer described uh, the scene with the cliff jumping so oh, of course doesn't do it so they go and bonk him on the head i was like yeah, bonking on the head is the underselling of that of what happens in that movie um but yeah i'm i'm looking forward to this but i am like you a little frustrated that the trend particularly in horror movies recently appears to be i don't know what's what what's going on in the distribution department here but we appear to have gone back to uh, yesteryear where we tend to get films later than than releases in other territories yeah which and back TV in the day was worse. tv a year goes past and with no, no sign of something yeah like to be fair like in the olden days you know the olden days of the 1990s that wasn't so bad but now we live in a world where the day or two after it comes out especially well, in genre spaces good game you know yeah it'll be there'll be oh no context spoilers, wink, wink, wink on your on My your absolutely favourite thing in the world is like people who have no, I was going to say no brains, that's maybe too harsh, but like no sense of like, you know, nuance or like, you know, like subtlety and they go like, you know, no spoilers, but if you're a fan of this actor, you might be sad an hour and a half in. And <laughs> like, I wonder what issue could be alluding to, possibly that they're going to get killed, you know, or like no context spoilers. It's just like a picture of like someone getting shot in the head. Like, mm, I wonder what that's going to be about, yeah. you know. Game of Thrones was, uh, I wasn't even watching the later series, but that was like, if you had even the mildest amount of context, you would be able to work out what these no spoilers yeah. are. Like, no spoilers, and then an emoji of a dragon, some fire, and like a skeleton. They're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and a picture of the actor. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. terrible. So you know, it's one of those, one of those things. Like, especially with like these big, notable releases, my fear is that it goes one or two ways. Either that you get something spoiled for you that you that you would really enjoy, and it's for reasons like that that I managed to catch Pearl at a cinema when I happened to be in the US in the in the correct week. Oh, or with um Fun. with Infinity Pool having to like, you know, try and catch it early and like with with VPNs and things like that to try and get them versus your it being spoiled. Or the other way around is that sometimes then there's such a discourse about the 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 content of the movie that then it can never live up to that as well. I really suffered yeah. with both um, Skinnamarink and Outwaters, for they were so heavily yeah, repre- represented uh, of, as to what they were going to be because, they, I mean, Skinnamarink had TikTok challenges around it. It was making so much hype. So then when you get to watch it with that context, I was like, this is not what I was expecting at all. And maybe I've reacted to it less Based positively. Expectation it, rather yeah. than just... I mean, I can, I can go the other way around as well. Like, you know, but I remember I was really excited for that new Hellraiser. I mean, because the director's like a good director. He did um, the ritual and um, the um, the Nighthouse. What was the guy's name? Um, I can, as you can tell, I'm on brand terrible to remember people's names. But it's from that director. Um, he was doing the new Hellraiser movie. And um, I was really excited for it. And if that movie came out day and day with the US on Disney Plus, you know, like other 
yeah. um, Hulu movies had done. I would have happily watched that on the spot. It would have been a guaranteed view. But because we had to wait for months after America, I had months of everyone's like having that level of excitement, and then everyone going, mm, "Actually, didn't like it that much," and have me complaints about it. I'm not liking this or that about it. And then you so you'd had to hear all the the discourse about like you know, oh, actually it's not great, oh, blah blah blah. So then the moments kind of passed that you would have watched it, and then like two or three months down the line, they go, "Oh yes, yeah, available on iTunes now." It's like well, I don't know if I want to watch it anymore because like you know and the that moment, passed. yeah, that moment and that discussion when everyone's watching it is kind of yeah. is kind of gone. It's a bit like when you find out about that series and it's already three seasons in. I think it was yeah. I did that with Breaking Bad. I was like. Oh, this sounds really good. There's how much of it already? Nah, too much. Not going to bother. Yeah. And again, for me, I guess this is. I think TV is especially bad for that because there's so much content every week. There's a new series dropping, and they like, dropping like full seasons at a time. And if you don't get on board on the ground floor, it's like I mean, I'm sure Succession's excellent. Um, everyone keeps on telling me it's great, but then like you know, I feel like when season three came out, I was like, oh, I need to get caught up in seasons one and two, then I'll watch season three. And then the whole series happened, and I spent a whole year saying I need to get around to watch Succession. Now it's like, and now the fourth and final season of Succession is starting. I'm like, I've still not started it yet. You know, it feels like homework trying to catch up on all that stuff sometimes. It is madness. But hopefully, um, we won't suffer from that with uh, Bo is Afraid. We'll we'll get around to seeing it. The moment won't have passed. We won't be upset with expectations, and no one one will spoil it for us. Um, Other than that one, though, another couple of pieces of news. As you have two people that live in Scotland, it is probably relevant to mention our friends over at DCA um, in Dundee have announced the lineup for their Dundead movie festival heading into their 11th year. Um, it's looking good. Um, let's have a look what we've got here. So we have some premieres, we have some classics, but looking across what we have here, so we have um, a preview. It kicks off the first night with a Scottish survival odyssey called The Origin. So a film filmed in the Highlands. Oh, in fact. that was the one I think it premiered the um, Glasgow Film Fest, didn't it? Or... Yeah. So we've yeah, got yeah, the yeah. we've got the origin, and then we have uh, what else? A European premiere of a surreal puppet horror, um, Abruptio. The UK premiere of um, a tense thriller, No More Time, as long as well as Scottish premieres of terrifying drama, Dark Nature, Wilderness Terror, Polaris, and a riotous anthology film satanic hispanics but they've also got a focus on some david cronenberg <laughs> retrospective so we've got some david cronenberg best hitters we've got dead ringers we've got scanners we've got the brood we have the fly and we have videodrome screening oh, as good well have you seen the fly on the big screen yeah so if you are oh and right now they're screening infinity pool and segueing into what we're watching in a minute i watched um a double bill of x and pearl there um just the other week oh. uh, they do, they do a lot over there. If you are near or around the Dundee area, it's worth a trip over because they do they do little screenings uh, of like horror-centric stuff throughout the year. Um, I saw Vampire and it's, uh, I'm not sure if it's 99th or it's 100th anniversary um, late last year as well. Really good. They do a lot. They support a lot of horror content and Dead is a decent little uh, festival. I think they have a quiz on opening night. Um, come and test your horror trivia. It's not oh, too far cool. out of the way for you. Get yourself down. Oh, sounds fun. Um, and then one one last uh, bit of news for me. Is there? Have I said that and now I've covered it all? No, 
I have covered all of the news. I had uh, the nastiest courses, a bit of news, but we touched on that already. Can't forget that. Available this week. We'll cover it twice. So I hadn't just uh, <laughs> missed one out. Uh, other than that, like I say, what I've been watching recently, um, X and Pearl, we have episodes on, uh, certainly on X, and I think we've spoken about Pearl in a bit of detail. Films that I think really do well for now being together. I, I think I like them both more than I did individually after first watching, having done them again. Have you seen both of them now, John? I've seen X, I've not seen Pearl. Oh, it's really good. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I've, I heard Pearl's the better one of the two, like, you know, um, or like builds on. But I'm really very much looking forward to it. Yeah, um, it's really good. Yeah. No, yeah, but, I, yeah, um, my God, great. The, I do, funny enough, the only bit of Pearl that I've seen is someone posted the end credits on Twitter. <laughs> like, so and, that, and that alone was like a, an Oscar worthy showcase. Yeah, it's her performances are great. I think X might be my favourite movie. Um, I find the characters really, really compelling in it. I think I would quite happily watch a movie where no one dies and it's just about some mild misunderstandings as they try to make that porn film. <laughs> I think that would just be all yeah, right. I just really wanted to be in the movie, just let it be in the movie. Yeah, just come on. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they've. Um, I think per- watching Pearl makes X better retrospectively. And then if you watch X again, having seen Pearl, it's a good circular. I think maybe it has an, an exponential potential to watch them in a loop over and over again. Yeah, and obviously um, with the trilogy coming out, which will kind of complete the set, it's interesting to hear how they kind of take the story next season. Yeah, I'm interested what they do. And I genuinely think there is, depending on how Maxine goes, you've probably got other things you can do in between because I, I wouldn't have noticed this till after I've seen Pearl. So Pearl is set like in uh, sort of a First World War era. Um, and then yeah. in X was set in 1979, yet there are clearly in X, there's evidence of things that have gone on in the 60s and so on as well. So it's maybe we've got a like mid... History of America, they could tell. Like, you maybe know, we've got like a mid character there. And that alligator yeah. could be in all of them because alligators theoretically keep going. Yeah, no, that can be you know, he's like, the, the master level. No, I think X has a kind of special distinction, a bit of a tangent of having like, you know, some of my all-time favourite letterbox reviews um and like just some of them but I, I, I think i read some of them before i saw the movie and maybe even more i think i see if i can see if i can bring up something because i haven't actually saved because i love them that much okay so that's review number one quote that is one horny bitch said by the guy in front of us my movie <laughs> um the texas backshot massacre um nice to see jenny ortega doing the elevated horror she loves i'm an absolute favorite one Glad my grandma did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good, and Ty West is doing some yeah. amazing stuff. I'm looking forward to Maxine a lot, particularly having seen this double. So looking forward to it now. Other than that, another couple. I saw Spoonful of Sugar getting the most out of that Shudder subscription. Uh, I'm not sure if you've heard about this one, John. It's about a... Uh, I have like, heard of it. I'm just gonna the nanny movie. I've not yeah, seen it yet, but... It's good. So it's about, for anyone else, it's for... Um, like a like a nanny takes a job looking after like quite a troubled child, but she herself is doing some experimentation with micro dosing of LSD. Um, it's a it's a wild ride. It's really really fun. It's got it's got lots of elements to it. It's got some dark secrets. I mean, coming off the back of X and Pearl, it's a pretty horny movie. I gotta say, if you want to slip that, if you want to slide that into a pile to watch with those ones, 
it's a pretty horny movie on on various occasions as well. <laughs> Actually, maybe I'm, I'm there's like a paint some gems Yeah, oh, shudder absolutely yeah. banging value. Just. I just watched the Witch Hunt this week on Shudder. Um, I think I watched that because like it's directed by El Callahan, who's doing um the hotel adaptation that was you know developed optioned or whatever. So I thought I better get up to date with what she's doing. And yeah, it was a fun movie. Um, kind of like a kind of modern day witch hunt type thing, you know, but set like in like regular America, where kind of all where witches exist. So kind of exploring some interesting allegories. And you'd think well, this is maybe a bit outlandish, but then you actually see what's happening in the news, you know, like you know, yeah. with like you know trans people or gay people, or whatever. And you're like, no, actually, I can totally buy people with this hysterical. So no, that was interesting. And you say that's on Shudder as well. Yeah, so yeah I think just been on Shudder last week. Oh, nice. Always good. Always a good time on Shudder. Just looking at my list here, John, of things I've watched this week, bearing in mind, so Spoonful of Sugar, a bit horny, X and Pearl, absolutely. I finished off a classic series as well. I watched Candyman 3, Day of the Dead. Um, I'd never never (laughs) seen it before. Also, the Candyman, I mean, in many ways, a big, like, I'd never thought about it until recently. The Candyman's murdering techniques is they're a lot like old style, old school courting because the person he's haunting in this one, like a, an ancestor who's showcasing some of his paintings, he does use that old school courting technique where he just asks loads. So Kurt oh, turns up, all right, do you want to be my victim? No, thanks, the candy man. Well, I'll continue to ask. I'll wear you down over several <laughs> Just let several me know when you're ready to be my victim. Please no be my victim. Oh, no, stop asking the candy man. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, like, like, to whom it may concern, I hope this wanting finds you well. I wonder if you're a chance just following up about my offer. To, you know, <laughs> yeah. He set, he set an auto reminder on there, like you know, it comes up on his email. <laughs> What's this reminder? <laughs> like, be my no, I've declined. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that's the Candyman. Uh, and then I've just started just today, in fact, watching the original. It's been a little while between drinks. The Slumber Party Massacre, because oh, wow. I thought we're talking we're talking horrors, so let's go for another yeah. classic slasher. Oh yeah, um, but the, the one enduring memory I have of the original Slumber Party Massacre is the bit when like the kind of like girls are like you know sort of they're in siege, like locked up in the house. And then just start eating pizza off the dead guy's body, like you know, because then, then like you know, so like they start taking pieces of pizza off this dead pizza guy, like you know, just like lifting it off his torso and eating it. And then like one of the other girls looks like, "What are you doing?" Just like I'm hungry, <laughs> you know, like, you know, I'm like, hungry when I'm stressed. Yeah, you mustn't, you mustn't waste pizza as well. Come on, what's that? Oh yeah, you mustn't, yeah, you mustn't be wasting that pizza. Waste not, not. Um, but how yeah, about like, you, John? Anything else you've been watching recently? It doesn't have to oh, be the last oh. week for you. Oh, yeah, well, I recently went to Glasgow Fright Fest, um, which was a lot of fun. That's my first time being there in person since before the pandemic. Um, it was uh, the last time I went was twenty twenty. Well, obviously, like the event was on the Friday Saturday, and then like the following Wednesday, we were all in lockdown. So I've not been for like three years, but I went back this year. And it was actually a really good lineup. Um, the some of the highlights included um Here for Blood, which is a kind of um. 80s style kind of like schlock horror about a pro wrestler who is moonlighting as a babysitter um as a favor to his girlfriend and like you know while he's looking after this girl like these mad like demonic cultists kind of descend on the house in increasing numbers and he has to keep on fighting them off very gory very kind of like funny very good 
Um, there was um, Onyx the Fortuitous, Natalia and the Twin of Souls, which is a you know spin-off of like the Onyx the Fortuitous like, the viral character. He's got his own movie. It has kind of it kind of feels a bit like um Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Not okay. just in terms of like taking a character from skits and kind of making a movie out of them, but just in terms of the whole tone of it being funny, but also having genuinely good creature effects and scares as well. Um, so I enjoyed that. Um, Little Bone Lodge is a kind of like really twisty attorney kind of um thriller set in Scotland. Um, so I think that got its world premiere at Fright Fest. I think it'll be coming out later this year. Yeah, we um, saw Little Bone Lodge for the for the show. We didn't catch the other two. We did manage to see Little Bone Lodge though, and it probably one of my favourites from the from the Glasgow lineup. Yeah, no, it was good. It was a good movie. Um, one but perhaps one that's not so um prestigious would be I did see Winnie the Pooh, um Blood and Honey, yeah, um, which was an experience. Um, <laughs> I'll say that. Um, it was. Um, I felt quite bad because like, all the casting crew and the directors were all there. I like to say here's the movie, and then the audience just roared and laughed through this whole movie. Um, but it, if you, I think it's a movie that you might enjoy if you watched it with a crowd of people ready for a laugh. I think um, it's a bit, if, or, if you go if you're curious the... about Winnie the Pooh getting called a nonce, um, you might want to. <laughs> I think if but... you go, if you go and if if you go into it with the idea that it's going to be a fun time. I think there's things to celebrate. We talked about that on the Fright Fest episode as well. I think that for me, I would have leaned in, I would have either leaned into it being funny, the room style, or um, just you, you, you're bound by your budget to a certain degree. Maybe take another run at the writing. I think you could have found something yeah. with that one. But some of the gore effects, they they have their moments, especially for a low budget movie. Um, yeah, there's stuff to enjoy there. Yeah, so I'm interested to see what they, how they pivot and the, the many sequels that are not already planned. Yeah, yeah, they're they're, they're going after some other fran- uh, franchises, other old IPs, right? Yeah, yeah, it's like public domain um, fairy tales, like Bambi, Peter Pan. This, yeah, I, I I'm I applaud what they're doing. I think it's an interesting an interesting angle. But apart from all those watches, of course, we've watched the film of the week, which uh, for those of you who've gone in blind and not read the the title on your podcast player, is Friday the 13th, part two. A 1981 movie directed by Steve Miner, The Body Count Continues. Five years after the horrible bloodbath at Camp Crystal Lake, it seems like Jason Voorhees and his demented mother are in the past. Paul opens a new camp close to the infamous site, ignoring warnings to stay away. And a sexually charged group of counsellors follow, including child psychologist major Ginny. But Jason has been hiding out all this time, and now he's ready for revenge. What a synopsis. But, um, yeah. I mean, it doesn't feel right to say Friday the 13th part 2. You have to say Friday the 13th explosion sound effect part yeah. 2. Ka-ching, <laughs> explosion, explosion noise part 2. Um, <laughs> Ratings-wise, uh, Friday the 13th explosion part 2 gets a 6.1 on IMDb, 29% on Rotten Tomatoes by critics, 48% by audience. They love it slightly more. Um, it's got a 3.1 average on Letterboxd. And here are a couple of choice reviews we have pulled up here. So Patrick Williams uh, gave it three and a half stars. And he says, I love that Jason is a big dumb idiot who keeps falling down because he's only he's only cut one eye hole in the sack over his head. Um, 
Justin Peterson gives it two stars. Friday the 13th Part 2 proves bigger is not necessarily better, and it borders dangerously close to being more of a remake than a sequel. Um, Belial Carboni, um, four and a half stars. Super solid sweet sequel that is just as good, if not better, than the original. Where do you uh, overall, John, before we get into the 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 run through of the story, what's your background of it and where do you um you know, any of those reviews resonate with you without giving away your score at this point? Uh, well I was kind of like when I, I first saw Friday the thirteenth part two on video, um it would have been maybe about I think it maybe would have been shortly after I saw Scream as we were talking about and I was like seeking out more slashers and famous stuff and I watched the only the only Friday the 13th I'd seen before this point was um Jason Takes Manhattan. So I wanted to go back and watch like one of the earlier ones. And I remember like when I watched this as a kid on VHS, I thought it was pretty scary. Like, you know, like I remember thinking like the the jump scares were really effective and I kept on like turning my volume down to like mute like to avoid getting scared when I was watching it. Um so I was keen they're gonna go back and revisit it as an adult like you know and i think i did that maybe about a year or two ago when i was doing um the mac mac kind of top 100 slashers project i thought i'll watch through more of the friday the 13th and it wasn't as good as i remembered it being at the time like um for me friday the 13th is kind of a fascinating um franchise because it's such a work in progress if you, you know if you can see this kind of like sort of like patchwork method of them putting together like what this series is, what works, what doesn't. The first movie, like, you know, Sean Cunningham just outright says, we made this because Halloween was making a bunch of money and we wanted to make money too. Um, So it kind of didn't have much thought behind it. And then part two kind of like hobbled on top of that. Um, And then, it, but Jason, like, as we know, like obviously, they know, the, even his visuals didn't really take shape until part three. I mean, it goes from like ripping off um, the town that dreaded sundown in this movie to ripping off um alone in the dark with the hockey mask and and film three um so and I think obviously once the hockey mask you know came that became a big part of like the formula but for me the first like proper like really good Friday the Thirteenth movie probably isn't until the final chapter part four and then obviously the apex of the series is um Jason lives uh Friday the Thirteenth part six that was like you know but they just like, the formula is just like refined to a T and you knew exactly what made this work which is leaning into the comedy leaning into the absurdity having that little touch of self awareness they're not quite there yet with like this one they're still kind of quite nascent um in terms of like you know making out what the series is and like what Jason is. I mean, one of the things that's really jarring for me when I watch this is that whole opening sequence, which is essentially Jason Voorhees has looked up the address of this victim in the phone book and then went out to town to find her and like, you know, and then went to her house and like, you know, killed her, like, you know, and I can't imagine like, you know, the Jason or that became like the iconic Jason doing something like that. Like it feels like so like out of character for him. Yeah, and right. then like, you know, and like and even like stuff like we mentioned, like falling down and like you know getting beaten up by weedy councillors and stuff, that doesn't feel like Jason either because he's not really Jason yet. So I think while I don't necessarily love the movie, I think it's quite fascinating as a kind of like transitional product and like kind of like this nascent thing kind of taking shape. Yeah, that is a really interesting take actually, and I and we'll we'll touch into it. We'll get into the you know the the summary as we're going through, but yeah, let's begin with that opening that opening scene because obviously while Jason is looking up um, the former survivor's address she for the benefit of us as an audience has fallen asleep fully clothed on top of her bed and is having a 
slightly over six minute nightmare sequence <laughs> with the key plot yeah. points of the first movie. And I tell you what, it doesn't half make you miss um, Mrs. Voorhees as the original as the original killer in that one. I mean, fashion icon, obviously, with that yeah, with that big thick. Oh, other good thing, compass yeah. there. I mean, that's like yeah, but it it does it does give a lovely humorous impression that you know our, our main character from the original is she's rolling around like you know sort of muttering no, no in her sleep but the first thing she mutters no to is the not scary at all memory of that time she went hi i'm mrs Voorhees, a friend of the christies she's like no please not a friend of, <laughs> not a friend of the christies and then she finally wakes up with a scream not at the end of the nightmare the logical end of the nightmare part where a little uh, skeletal Jason boy comes out of the river and, and yanks her off the boat into the water. But she wakes up with a start at the very end scene of the first movie where she's talking to some policeman and goes, then he's still just, out there. Yeah, that, 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 the memory of that policeman, like, will cause her to wake up screaming, like, you know, yeah. like, you know, she jumps out of bed, you know. Uh, <laughs> and then and then we get up and she phones her mom, has a gratuitous, like, shower scene, comes back out. Oh. And then a great moment of, um, I mean, depends on the, you could, maybe this is, John, a, a great moment for me to think about how I've matured as a, as a youth. Because you think, you know, teenager growing up watching these on video, you'd be trying to pause them. Um, you know, when, as an 80s slasher movie, when loads of women are basically um, naked and having showers. But I paused this movie an awful lot seeing if I could see the directors or some stage hands hands throwing that cat through that window. I was like, do I see the shadow of some hands there throwing that cat in the window? Because that's our first jump scare that we get. Like there's some um, noises and then a cat is like unceremoniously like underarmed through a window. Um, and then you're right. Um, the heroine of our first movie gets stabbed in the brain. Well, don't get a genuinely good jump scare of when she opens the door and the fridge door and like the mother's heads in there. Oh yeah. So in many ways, long before Kyle Rayner um was motivated and, uh, by the original by his... woman in the refrigerator yeah. was Pamela yeah. Voorhees. Yeah, Pamela <laughs> Voorhees was fridged, motivating motivating Jason's actions throughout the, <laughs> throughout the, throughout <laughs> the through like you know nine plus movies over the years. Um so yeah Pamela Voorhees is fridged but Jason you're right I don't think modern Jason would have would have would have done this, but the kettle's boiling. He does take it off the ring and says, "No, no, don't want to. I, I no, don't, don't want to. I, I want to kill someone. I don't want to cause property damage. That would be reckless. <laughs> I don't want to cause a fire. Like I imagine that this version of Jason probably does put some food down for that cat before he leaves. Yeah, yeah. Like puts a little saucer of milk down and has a snack. Um, yeah, he, that he, cat he moves his aside to get to like the Bologna, like you know, like in the back, and just has a wee sandwich. Said, so, I tell you what. I'll tell you what, Puss, I am going to give you all this milk because I'm not going to stick around here. I want to make sure you're well cared for until someone Pulls comes out to some murder. Food, you know? Yeah. I'll do you a big bowl, see if you're right for a couple of days. <laughs> um, and then we get our explosive um, our explosive intro um, before we get to, like, basically ignoring all advice. Um, the town, the town council are still granting license to try and open camps on the, I guess, just next door to Camp Crystal Lake. 
yeah, across the way, like, you know, it's, they never do learn, like, they keep on trying to reopen, like, this place, like, you know, like, some, how much business is summer camps doing that they have to keep on opening it on, like, these killing sites? And also, I don't know if you've been to America or spent much time studying geography, no, I can tell you about America, fucking massive, there's loads yeah, of go it. Yeah, go to another state and do it with air or somewhere else in New Jersey, you know, it's, yeah, like... it's massive, huge, great big track to land, even though it's very urbanised country, loads of open space, actually, if you want to open in a camp yeah for anywhere that's not been the site of a gruesome mass murder within walking distance of like yeah, you know, and like a little there's like a little flimsy keep out sign please yeah. don't come in here the fence has yeah, collapsed the, the, the thing is they keep on like opening all these campsites and i think probably like by the time it got to like part seven and it opened another one and i like you know i'm thinking and then no one seemed to remember like, you know, the what happened to the previous times, I'm thinking, hmm, this is really starting to strain credibility here. I'm, yeah. I'm actually forgiving it to me till part seven, I'm like, you know, this is straining credibility here. But it just feels like such a hot mess. I mean, like, when I try and think of, like, unpacking, like, the continuity of, like, you know, Friday the 13th and the hot mess of, like, what happens, like, you know, you just have to think of, like, what's happened across these movies. I mean, like, you know, Jason Voorhees dies, as a child, and he's dead for, like, 20 years, then he comes back as, like, this undead mutant kid, and then, like, was it six years past between the first movie and the second movie? And after that time, he comes back, he's grown up into a human, moral, adult man who was, like, crazy and kills his people, but he still has enough brains, like we say, to, like, phone people and look up addresses and what have you. Cut a hole so in then Jason... <laughs> Yeah, 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 oh, yeah, in a sack. And then, like, Jason gets killed for real, about a decade passes, and his corpse is struck by lightning to reanimate him as an undead again zombie in movie six. He kills, like, a shit ton of people like you know like a, an atrocity level of people and people like you know um then his body goes dormant under the lake for like what i'm guessing must be like a generation in order for after, the after he's defeated by carry yeah 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 and totally forgotten like all these multiple killing sprees um and so it's so, like you know so he's descending to like, dusty local legends until he's brought back again in part seven and all this like somehow happens in the 1980s like you know yeah. all of this happens <laughs> in the 1980s like... and then he then he becomes like a worm that goes up your bum to turn you into a jason yeah 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 of course yeah you know it's like you know and it's like, quite interesting because i watch you know like i remember watching the denzel washington movie fallen um and thinking isn't this just jason goes to hell but good <laughs> you know um and then of course he went to space you know in case i've had that you see i think now because they've got that regardless of where if if they don't reboot the franchise if they just end up with more entries i don't care what you do as long as you make it plausible that you can at some point be shot by the fbi and then put into cryo storage by the yeah, uh, by the time you need to put it away again, you need to make sure that Jason X stays canon. Yeah, it has to has to be like canon, like you know, they can't like you know avoid that. But for me, like my opinion is if you were to do another Friday the 13th story, like Crystal Lake has to be like ground zero. It has to be like, you know, they've sealed this off. It's like Chernobyl or something, like you know, the whole area this room, like this is like you cannot go in here, this is forbidden, like Jason's here, like you know, and then then that should be this this kind of like whole just like stretch of land in the middle of New Jersey that just like this is all quarantined, this is like forbidden access because like Jason's here and like he can't be killed, he can't be fought, like so just left him be. <laughs> you and can do anything you want broken into that area or something, you know, running yeah. through or something. Oh, there'd be like a TikTok challenge or something, wouldn't you? Like, yeah. oh, camp over <laughs> at Crystal Lake. Uh, yeah, yeah, that'd be exactly what they do. But without all of that, you know, this time, forgivable. 
you know, it's just yeah, it's only been it's only been one. There's only been two killings. There's only been there's only been the original killings, which were ages ago, and then last year, and everyone's assumed that it wasn't Jason because no one else no one else saw him. So that's yeah. that's fine. Mrs. Always a red I think because I think they say they think they say different things at different points in the movie. Is the second one six months after the first one or six years after? So the five, second? I think five years. I think they say, "Oh, this will happen five years ago." Right. So maybe it's like the flashback of the opening, like you know when it's like um like the the, the final girl getting killed. Maybe that was six months after the first movie, and then like the the scene. Uh, ah, yeah. So maybe, maybe a few like months ago because Jason's yeah. obviously had to walk back to Crystal Lake because yeah. uh-huh. yeah. not catching a bus. Yeah. No. So he's already um, like, like done. like you know he's had his fill of like public life by that point. Yeah, he's like, no, I'm gonna have to go back. I've I've, I've made myself a sack for the journey. But um, yeah. I I really liked this opening scene here. So we get a couple of the camp counselors doing it, and there's a wonderful scene here where they're phoning to get directions, and in the I background, and them patches, you know, like, you know, running after the oh this car. This guy's got stamina. He can he can run for days. But I love the bit where they're phoning to get directions, and literally behind them, this is like a proto version of all the times that something has happened in the background, like the killers coming up on them. But it's just a guy casually oh, hooking up the tow truck. <laughs> he's hooking the car, and he and he still and he takes the car. And don't worry, everybody, their car hasn't really been towed like might happen in a movie because they're only parked there for a second. It's just a guy from the local garage playing some japes and he actually tows them to the campsite and does get them to sprint there after him. So they've probably probably done a good couple of miles to get them to the campsite. And then this is the the camp basically getting everyone getting everyone together because they're reopening it. The the guy is restarting it all. His his girlfriend Ginny turns up late in like a banged up old VW Beetle. Um and yeah, this is. I mean, there's too many characters, to go, and we don't even. I don't think we get names for all of them spoken, do we? We you can look at no, the cast you know, list. Kind of, you know, you have like you know, um, the leader of the camp. He's named, but I forget his name now. You have like Paul. Ted, kind of like Paul. Yeah, you have like Ted, the Zany comic relief. Um, you have the guy who I just call like you know Skip Cap Douche, like you know who's the guy who ran after the the, the car, um, yeah. his girlfriend, you know. Um, but and then you have like the the guy in the wheelchair. I can't remember his name. Um, Is that Mark? Yeah. So Mark, Mark yeah. Tom McBride. Yeah. Um. So yeah, like, you know, so you have like a solid ensemble of oddballs and misfits as you normally have. Although I think this cast is quite a restrained cast. Once they got into later films, they really thought, let's lean into making these people like characters and like zany people like these ones are kind of somewhat grounded by um friday the 13th standards yeah by the time you get to even number three where you've got like you know the the sex fiend and there's the guy with the yo-yo maybe they're the same yeah. character oh yeah and then you know, the hands they had the handstand man and like the world's saddest loneliest prankster <laughs> who walks around crying in his wetsuit because no one will like laugh at his jokes oh, i think i mean we'll get to those guys but this one quite <laughs> an interesting group so we have Ginny field who is our so she is the we learn very quickly she's the girlfriend of the guy who was setting up the, the camp again to get it all going paul's girlfriend and as we get in a lovely subtle bit of exposition when she's trying to get a car started, it's like, hey, why not treat you've got to treat the car just like you treat the children in your child psychology major that you're taking right now. You've got to treat them gently. Um, yeah, we get a lovely bit Maybe of Maybe that'll come back later. <laughs> that, oh, child psychology, which apparently is 
when you when you study child psychology, I don't know if you've ever been a child psychologist, John. Apparently, what it is is child psychology is how to trick children or people yeah, who have course. the minds of children, <laughs> not to <laughs> understand them, but how to trick them. That's what they say. Therapy is essentially just tricking people into being well. You got to trick them. So yeah, that that's that's this gang together. Uh, we've had a little encounter from good old mate Crazy Ralph. He, uh, yeah, yeah. I, 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 said, I, said, I thought you were talking about Henry earlier on, and that my this this town has a death curse. You know, yeah. like, like, like yeah. So he's <laughs> he's he's turned up. I mean, yeah. the, the way I think about it, though, I mean, we always talk about the tropes of these eighties slashes in particular, talking about people transgressing up at this point until the murders murderers really start cranking things up here in many ways jason's the wronged party so he yeah. was he was allowed to drown <laughs> he was allowed to yeah. drown and then his mom if she'd lived in a more litigious time she might have just sued the camp the the camp sued them to dust no court in the land wouldn't have given her all the money yeah um, well, but, instead you know, she the cowardly one she took it she took a different she took a different path she reacted in that way but then jason and we we get some unpicking of this in a child psychology scene later on. He's come back as a little skeleton boy, and then the first thing he has seen is his mom getting her head lopped off. Yeah, yeah. Just, just think, all the it's been taking him twenty years to will himself back into life. You know, like, what would drive like, you know someone who drowned to will themselves like from the land of the dead to the land of the living, but an all-consuming love for their mother and a desire to be reunited. So he's overcome all this. He's willed himself back to life, and the first thing that he sees is his mother getting horribly killed. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, no wonder she, she never even knew that he was alive. Um, for you know, like she's for all she knew, like you know, you know, like he's always been dead, so she never even knew that he came back for her. Maybe when he, maybe like when he, she said that he had that voice saying, Kill him, mummy, kill him for me, like you know, maybe it actually was Jason saying it, but she didn't know, she thought it was just a voice in her head. Yeah, she wasn't ill, she wasn't, there was nothing wrong with her at all. In many ways, it's a tragedy on the level of Romeo and Juliet, a more platonic yeah. love, of course, but you know, yeah, yeah. they've just missed each other, they've not been alive at the same time. Yeah, it's been 20 years, I mean, yeah. You can't, you can't well, criticize Mr. The, the, last, the last thing that went through Pamela Voorhees' head, you know, before the machete, yeah. was um her thinking at last I'll be reunited with Jason again, and she wasn't because she'll get died. she'll get to the shadow realm where you go after you die, and then she is Jason here. Oh, you've just missed him, actually. Well, he's back. Just willed himself back to life. I guess they might be reunited briefly between parts four and six. Yeah, maybe I. And then so that's why he's so pissed off in part six because he'd he had all that he wanted and he could probably brought back. Yeah, because they've just exposed him to lightning. Um, <laughs> so all of these things have happened, and then oh, we get a wonderful campfire scene here. And I know he's doing it for effect, but I love the bit where he's like, "Now, he's he's made a poor choice here as Paul because he's kind of said, now I don't want to scare anyone.'" But then he goes to really do a dramatic telling of the story of Pamela and Jason Voorhees. Oh, and people say that he's got the mind of a child and he's been living out there in the woods, just stealing and like eating raccoons and stuff to survive. And he's here and he's going to get who's, you all. Who's saying this? Because it's, it's actually quite an accurate story. So who's like, you know, got the goss here that have been saying that? Like, you know, is there this whole like, other like, you know, part of the town that aren't bothering Jason? Like, you know, they're all going to the campgrounds to make out and have sex. Maybe there's a bunch of people who just view Jason as a kind of colourful local character and like, oh, there's that Jason again out hunting in the woods. Maybe this is how Crazy Ralph like passes in normal society. So like, when he's in the post office, it's Jason that he's gossiping about. Because yeah. all, all he really does 
on a sliding scale far less crazy than the things all he does is go around telling people there's a death curse riding about on his bike yeah no, my theory my, my, my about crazy ralph is that he's been saying there's a death curse you're all doomed you're going to die he's, he's been telling every tourist that's came by for the past 20 years and it's not happened and this one time that like you know jason's been to killing spree he's been like the cat that got the cream he's like you know oh, i was right that's what i've been saying all along you know yeah. so this bad trash off kind of like you know the broke clock that's right once a day yeah that's it <laughs> twice a day in fact, isn't that I think I'm not sure if it's in this one or the remake, but like someone mentions Crazy Ralph because oh, his wife's going to be really worried. Crazy Ralph is holding a marriage together, so <laughs> I know you know he's better than me. <laughs> yeah, so he's doing he's doing something right, but yeah. So Paul tells the story of Jason, which he's heard from Crazy Ralph or someone else. Uh, he tells the full, fairly accurate to the movie story of Jason, um, and something's predicted. Like you know, he's living out in the woods. He's got that spot on. Yeah. Um, but it's a combination of it. I'd get it if he if he was just trying to if he was leaning into the horror and building up the legend of the story, great thing to lean in. You've you've done it, Paul. But that he begins with a now I don't want anyone to to worry, so I'm just gonna tell it to you straight. Maybe that's yeah. a little bit of dramatic flair. I can yeah. buy into all those things, but he then finishes that by going, Now, for fuck's sake, everyone don't ask about Jason or talk about it ever again. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to tell you this to get your imagination working, but then never mention it again. But please, you know, after I've done this, I just wanted to do it with the scare where the guy dressed as a caveman comes out. Now that's done, please never mention about Pamela or Jason Voorhees again. It's been five years. No one ever saw a Jason. He does skirt over the fact that, you know, canonically, even though no one saw a Jason, the police did, like, clear up ton of bodies from that thing loads of people <laughs> did die yeah she's like I mean, she never she just fell in the water yeah that okay maybe if you don't believe there was a little ghost boy that's fine but loads of people were stabbed to yeah, death. there was a like, man that is a, like, a site of mass murder you know maybe just for the sake of like, respecting the families of the deceased to don't go back <laughs> yeah kevin bacon did get an arrow through the neck so yeah. that that is a thing that happened only five years ago <laughs> <laughs> but he's um he's having none of it and he wants to open up so then we just begin with um they are kind of uh they're getting ready for the uh they're getting ready for getting trainings so they do a little a little bit more introduction to all the characters we understand who is coupled up who the abilities are you know what everyone's abilities are um one of the things that apparently in 1982 owning a, like a tiger electronic game made you like an electronics wizard like oh yeah, yeah, i could yeah, blow yeah. my mind this like tech yeah. wizard like he owns he like a genius <laughs> with unknowable powers yeah he's literally got it's almost like one of those wind up like turtles games you got in the 80s <laughs> it's like the most basic piece of tech ever but the others are like <sighs> look at bill oh, gates yes, over yeah. here <laughs> <laughs> this guy's literally a genius um, so we, we see all the characters. Um, we do see um, that uh, Crazy Ralph um, does eat it here. He's our, he's, our next, he's our next victim again. He's not made the morally right choice here. He is perving on people. Yeah, I, and to be honest, like, you forget how long into the movie it is before anybody else dies after all. It's that like 45 minutes or something in there, or maybe 40 yeah. minutes before like Crazy Ralph bites the dust. Yeah, Crazy Ralph just gets. I mean, maybe maybe it's just a, a low res copy I was watching, but like 
He looks like he gets barbed wired around the neck. I guess it could yeah, be a standard I think, I think it's like a barbed wire noose, like Jason's up in the trees and he kind of like loops it down and brings it yeah. up. And you get lovely, like a pre, we don't get a full facial Jason reveal for a while. So we just get some hands come behind him from yeah. behind a tree and um, and strangle him off. And then you don't see, you know, his body's hid in a cupboard for the rest of this film, but he's just stashed him away. Yeah, it's gone. Jason and Michael Myers have a, a similar flair for this, like almost doing like a like a really well staged, almost like a Darren Brown type reveal. Like yeah, all of the pieces, you know, all of the yeah. pieces are put together, and he's he knows well the no one's going to need to go in the big pantry because they've got cereal and everything in the main in the cupboards here in the kitchen. No one's going to open this cupboard door until they're trying to run away from me much later on. So. I think we've got this. I think we're going to get away. I think we're going to get away with like the big reveals in the final chase scene. Just bodies hidden in plain sight all over the all over the shop. Yeah, no, it's like, you know, like the music videos that have all the kind of like, you know, stuff happening and it's all like choreographed kind of with the band is and they're on the treadmills, whatever, like, you know, it's like that, like, you know, where like, you know, he wants it all arranged, so it's all going to like fall in pieces, like, you know, like, you know, it's like the thing falls over and knocks something and knocks another guy over. It's all just innately orchestrated to be a work of art. Yeah, he's uh, he certainly does his homework, but so he's yeah. put he's put Crazy Ralph away. Um, We have Ginny and Paul have a scene. I'm not sure if this is on purpose meant to imply it's okay, she can survive because they haven't had sex here. But she goes, oh, I've got something to tell you. And then I assume, based on the lipstick note on the mirror that they write about, hey, watch out for bears, it's implied that she's on a period. So I don't know why they've why they've done that. Why was, is it a nod to the fact that, you know, obviously in the 80s people have been like, oh, no, absolutely not. No, thank you. So no. don't worry, you're safe from bear. Well, you're not safe from bears, but you are safe from being killed safe. by Jason in a film that yeah. will yeah. punish people for having sex. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. Uh, I, I just stopped at the tar. I thought it was like a teaser for cocaine beer. Yeah, it was going up there. So, <laughs> what do we have here? So, all the other characters have got accessories. I forgot to mention that one of the other characters has a dog. That's her thing that she. That's yeah. her thing that she has with her, because. This is almost the next victim. So while while they're out for a run, the dog approaches Jason and is snatched off, not to be seen again to the end until the end of the film. Well that was interesting because obviously you know, like people who've seen Halloween when seen I had the expectation that when a dog runs afoul of a slasher um that they're dead they're done for like you know um obviously you have like you know michael myers famously strangling like the dog in halloween um but in this where i would take it that like jason just like oh here's a cute dog i'm gonna have this for a bit and then like he took it away with him and then like he got away after a while and then ran back i guess we'll come we'll come to that a little bit later well, although my, my absolute favourite dog in the Friday the 13th series, the dog from part four, um, that just jumps out a window um, to escape from Jason. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's probably up there in slasher movie dogs, I think, between the dog that does that and then the dog that brings Freddy Krueger back to life yeah, by, by, pissing. by pissing on his, by pissing on yeah. his bones. <laughs> the two... <laughs> In a dream. <laughs> yeah, a dream dog. A, the real, dog a, a real loophole that a dog in someone's dream brought him back to life. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the dog is the dog is captured, or we we it's left ambiguous because we do see, and we'll we'll guess we'll come to it when we get to the the final scenes here. But later, some of the other characters find like a dog's body in the yeah ah yeah 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 the woods. <laughs> 
So and for some reason, I never put the two and two together that that dog was supposed to be the dog, like and just because it would have had more short than it was. Yeah. So I think we'll we'll come to it a bit more when we talk about the end. But one of the things that's posed there is the maybe the actual ending scene is some form of hallucination because there's some ambiguity around it. So maybe the dog has been murdered by Jason because in the opening scene he has proved himself to be a cat person. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It could be, it could be, it could go the other way. Bear me a second, John. I'm just going to pause to feed this dog. He's going to bark at me otherwise. I'll be back in two minutes. No problem. I'm going to pause this. Did you just like a negative review? <laughs> right. So, um, yeah. So the dog gets captured. Um, the dog's owner gives a cursory look for it before someone says, oh, lunch is ready. So he's like, okay. No, I don't love it that much. Beloved, <laughs> beloved companion, I'll search for you later after I've had some after I've had some lunch. And you're right, the pacing of this film is very heavily stacked towards the back end. Like, Yeah, it's, like, it's so... Like, the, that first half is a slog, like, you yeah. know, but, you know... This is a big... It's it's a big... Yeah, it's a back-end movie here. It's, like, the last 15, 20 minutes, like, is a good 80% of yeah, the like kills. Yeah, it's a full-on, like, onslaught of, like, you know, murders by the back half. But, yeah, and to be honest, like... A lot of slashers in the 80s were kind of, when you watch a lot of these movies, a lot of them were kind of like the first hour is like essentially a, a high school hangout movie, but with some ominous POV shots and <laughs> pepper yeah. down, you know. Um, so and, and so the, the characters are interesting enough, it can still work. Like, you know, this one works less well, but that does have its moments. Yeah. And, and this is what we have um, with, with this one, right? So they, they go and have the lunch. Dogs are abandoned looking for, but a couple of the others do go, come on. I really want to have a look at camp at Camp Crystal Lake. He goes, oh, okay, come on, we'll wander off and go. They immediately get busted when they find a dead dog there, which looks yeah, by the popo. Yeah, uh, a guy that looks a bit like Terry Wogan um, <laughs> comes and. Sure, I think I would, I would double check the credits that it wasn't Terry Wogan. <laughs> I should have to check actually, but he's a, uh, but he has got a mustache on. So mustache Terry Wogan basically comes along, has a quick look at him, and you know they he they hauls him into the station. Tells uh, Camp owner Paul, "Hey, you've got to watch out because I don't believe there's a Jason, but don't go, don't go mucking about anyway." Um, tells him off because he, like, he is annoyed that the camp owner doesn't tell them off enough um, from from this incident, um, uh, and and then he immediately sort of sees a figure in the woods and pursues it, like sprints after it in a clumsy tripping over way that you would feel like would happen to a victim of one of these characters except he's the yeah, one no, the chasing yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah um and he finds kind of jason's constructed house that he's made oh, yeah, out in the weird set murder cabin yeah which is probably the best contribution of this particular movie is that kind of weird murder house yeah that he's made out of just like bits of pallet and stuff like that he's found it's like when you're a kid and you're playing in the woods and you make yourself a base except jason's big and strong like an adult so he can make a really good one yeah so jason's put this one in together we don't see what the policeman finds in the thing but he's shocked oh my god (gasps) yeah oh my god enough to get hammered in the back of the head though so he's the only law enforcement available in camp crystal lake has been bashed in the head yeah, that's it. They caught you know, like it's a lawless town now. One thing I think is quite interesting, like you know, that I'd really 
I remember like, when I saw this movie as a little kid, I remember the deaths really vividly. Like I really remember the kind of like, the gore shots and the kills. But something that kind of like is quite strange about the way this movie's edited is that you have like the moment of murder and then like the things quite abruptly kind of go, ah, and it all fades to white. Like it happens here, like it happens a couple other places. Like as soon as he gets the axe in his head, he kind of like gets cut off mid-screen, it just kind of fades to white and cuts to the next yeah. scene. Yeah, it's a good it's not a not a snap cut, not a fade to black, but you're right, in a couple of bits you get like a fade to white. Like for those of us who grew up in the BBC, like someone's been exterminated by a Dalek. It yeah. like probably like reverses the polarity of your of your image. You get like a negative image. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this this policeman gets actually a good shocked face we get from here and the practical effect of someone with a like a claw hammer sticking out of his head. In the head, yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what, it doesn't have to look surprised. It's clearly come a bit sharp. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd be surprised if someone hit me in the head with a claw hammer. And you've been surprised by what we know is is dead dead mother's body as well. So you've seen that surprised yep. already yep. like in the moments yeah, you no, I would, to be fair I would be surprised if I saw that as well and then in the moments that you've got you'd be like I don't know if anything more surprising is ever going to happen to me than, than this moment <laughs> I found a decaying woman's body and then you get back <laughs> to the end with Emma yeah even worse right? my goodness you'd be ever so surprised that's the worst day ever yeah and, me, yeah, and we've um, so we've, we've seen that uh Chief Wogan's there, just go through the notes so that this bit is basically we then eliminate that the evening's coming. Uh, Paul, the camp leader, says, Hey, everybody, last night out in town, if you want it, before you've got to be serious and do a load of work before the kids arrive for camp. So if you want to go out down the on the piss in town, tonight's the night. And effectively, we take half of our cast. Are saved this because there's a there's a ton of counselors more than any self respecting slasher is going to deal with in yeah. the last probably half hour of this movie that's left at this point. So half of our characters excuse themselves and escape. Yeah, no, for me, this is this is one of my big takeaways from this movie is that if any character in um the history of the Friday the Thirteenth franchise could be seen as winning, like you know, or they have got the formula down, like win. Um, not get killed, not be left horribly traumatized. The winner is Ted in this movie. He goes, um, hangs out with his pals, you know, night in the town, gets drunk. Um, then like you know, when they say we you know when Paul says to him, make sure you come straight back to camp once you're done here, and he's like, you know, I, I captain, I'll do that. And then as soon as Paul goes, he's like, you know, is there any after parties around here? Like, you know, he goes, has a lovely time, has a night, you know, a night out in the town, probably ends up swinging with that old couple that he's been chatting up. Like, that you old know, couple with uh, a really wide collar who, like, goes, oh, the, are there any after party places? And the guy's like, he's like I know some after parties. Yeah, you know? he just <laughs> doesn't give any details, just goes, yes, yes, there so, are. So, yeah, so, right, so but, but, but I can just tell you he's been had a great night. The next morning, he wakes up, like, you know, probably in some mad orgy or whatever, like, hung over the heck. And, he's like, and, that, you know, and that barmaid seemed to like, him. She was yeah, no, he said, it's, it's, all, it's all looking up for Ted, and he's probably gonna go. I bet none of those guys had a night half as well as me. Wait till I talk to those guys. Oh, I have no idea what he's missed. It's a bit like it's a bit like that X thing. I'd quite happily watch just a film of Ted's night out. Yeah, you know, like, like Ted's crazy night out, and it's just like all the high drinks he gets up to. Like, but with we're totally unaware of the fact all the various points he's narrowly avoided being murdered over the course. Because yeah, you know, a lot of people are saying, "Oh, do you want to stay in?" Because the people that were naughty and went to Camp Crystal Lake, they've got to stay in and watch the camp. And then a couple of people, I feel real bad for Mark because they go, oh, do you want to go out? And he goes, nah, 
Niles there. I was like, Mark, you idiot. You could have got, got away with this, but you're right. You could have been, been like killing it with Ted, you know, instead yeah, of being dead. You could have been out on the town with Ted. And Ted as well, like you think that he was one that was done for because he has a little bit more play than some of the others. Yeah, he, no, he's, um... that's what I'm saying, because obviously you can, get, you can understand the background extras, like, you know, getting written out. But he's a guy who's an actual character. Not only is he an actual character, he is the character who always dies, which is he's the character who keeps on playing pranks and everybody, you know, and then has the costume so that someone else can take the costume and go like, oh, this isn't the plan, this is real this time. That guy always has to die, like, you know, for then the kind of payoff. So it's like he's seen his destiny. He's like, the only way I can win this game is by not playing. So yeah, gonna... I've gone. <laughs> yeah, I've gone out. Yeah, and you're right. He's got all the gimmicks. He's he's the video game guy. He is the caveman. Tell you what, he's done a good show right this. He's also pretty stacked. He's, uh, he's got yeah, his old six he's... pack out there. He's... Yeah, no, as I'm saying, he's, he's even gets cut off, but you know, and he survives. You know, he's he's got he's got, he's got the full camp crystal lake experience. You know, being a bit of a goofy weirdo, doing pranks, getting his cut off, like being horny, like you know, he's done all the stuff apart from dying. Like you know, he's got the full camp crystal lake experience, but all the good stuff. Yeah, I think if if they do bring back the series, I think Ted is one we need to see make a return. Yeah, like he yeah, could be, he could be the one that's reopening the camp. He's like, in my experience, nothing bad has ever happened here. Like you know, I've only bad. happy memories of being at Crystal Lake. <laughs> he still thinks it's a hoax because he never saw any of it. Yeah, that's great. And then while, and then they they go downtown. We also, this is also where we get the child psychology bit because when when oh, Ginny yeah. and Paul are out, they sit there and say, oh, so. Just gonna to put together a real spitball theory here, but Jason, he'd never see he probably doesn't even understand death actually. Um, but the first thing he saw was his mother dying, he'd go, you'd you'd lose it, wouldn't you? And she goes, Oh, yeah. So he's always got the mind of I mean, I won't repeat their lines because I think half of the cast in with modern eyes managed to get themselves cancelled with how they describe Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no, that's sort of thinking, especially for a child psychology major, you're gonna use language like this. <laughs> you don't deserve to have this job. Yeah, surely, even in 1980s. Someone who was working this this in an academic field would probably frown on yeah, this language. <laughs> so, yeah, probably probably don't say that. Maybe that's like year two of a PhD or something like that. Yeah, they yeah, haven't yeah. covered it yet. Yeah. You can uh, talk that. These are the bad words you can say. Yeah, for, first year you just call it what you want, and then they'll they'll drill down on that a bit <laughs> baby, later. Baby steps. <laughs> yeah. Once you've learned out why it's bad to describe things this way, then we'll then we'll then we'll go that way. Um, meanwhile, though. Everyone else um, down in uh, Crystal, well, not Crystal Lake, the lake, the the camp adjacent to Crystal Lake, is having a whale of a time. Yeah, so Camp Crystal fake. Um, oddly enough, one of the first people to get targeted is the one that is doing the least transgressional or sexual thing. There, she is naked and going for a swim, but she appears to be doing it for fitness reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's just been trying, being social, like healthily conscious. Yeah, she goes right. I'm going. I'm going for a swim. Don't want to, like you know. Obviously, I'm at camp. I'm going to be swimming most days. I don't want like my swimmers all damp in the morning. I'll go for a, a I'll go for swim. a yeah, naked just, swim. Yeah, just be efficient. And every time I tell you, I've seen this movie like three times now. I know. And every time I watch this movie, I forget that it's the creepy guy stealing her clothes and think it's Jason that's stealing her clothes. And I'm like, oh, Jason, you're a bit of a pair. And then I remember. Like, no, it's just, it's just some, it's just some fella. But he then yeah. gets, he gets captured and is hanging upside down for a little while. So he gets like caught in a classic like stick of the dump trap. He gets like a little noosed around the leg and he hoisted up up there 
I, I yeah. think to be fair, he's quite lucky that got because I think the lady would have absolutely beaten shit out of him because he's oh, teasing yeah, yeah. her. He's she, still she jacket. brass knocks, you know. Yeah, and she is. She is absolutely stacked. She's not. The, she's like the fitness character. That's her. Maybe it's like nine. This is great. I'm you know tired of upside down. I'm gonna get beaten up by this old lady. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, man, yeah you know? it's like, oh come on, let <laughs> let us down. This is probably quite dangerous. Fine, I'm gonna go find the knife and cut you down. <laughs> but while she steps away to get it, um, Jason Jason rocks up and slits his throat. Um, yeah, bleeds him out. Meanwhile, like his weird cross-eyed look at Jason as he's coming up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a great bit of facial acting there. Just yeah. you know, again, we see the yeah, see... just just like the last thing he sees, but his throat's like Jason's crotch eye level, and it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you wouldn't. It'd be really hard to get the perspective. Who's this big fella? <laughs> yeah, I can't really tell. It is from from the crotch. Um, meanwhile, though, those characters. So the 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 sporting characters here are. You know, she's out there doing a swim, but the people are actually transgressive. The people that are really doing their best to do some fucking are the others. One, one's a couple. That's understandable. She's like, hey, no more arm wrestling with this fella. Come off with us. But the horniest character in the entire film is this girl that's talking with Mark. So you guys, yeah, yeah. Going the best here. line in the movie when she's like, you know, when he goes to arm wrestling, she's like, all I need is your fingers. And he looks like, what and then like, and then like she goes for this game. It's like, <laughs> oh, you need your fingers for this game. And then as soon as you, oh, what what game we're we playing? Oh, the one with the puck, which sounds a little bit like fuck. And she's like, what? And she's like, oh, well, um, what what are we playing for? And she's like, position. This is honestly that makes Austin Powers look like a real straight laced, sensible, yeah. respectable I mean, I mean, guy. To be fair, Mark just looks delighted. He's like, this is like my lucky night. Yeah. So yeah, Mark's Mark's dead pleased. After he they do go on though, they don't just they don't just ex- like say, oh, you know, we're flirting, so we'll just progress it from here. She does she does complete the game. They do finish the the Tiger yeah, electronics I mean, hockey game. Like, have like you know like standards, you know, like of the competitive spirit. You can't just like like you know hormones get totally in the way. Yeah, so they they do want a game. So they do have one, and then they have a little have a little smooch after it's over. And said, "Oh, do you want to stay in my cabin tonight?" Yes, please. Um, right, I better go and get some stuff then. I'll be right back. Oh, is this the first example of "I'll be right back"? Um, I think it's said in Halloween. Oh, so they've taken it from there. So. In many ways, though, this is the power of the first follower. So, if Halloween have said it, has is it Friday the Thirteenth Part Two that have made it a trope? By it, yeah. Picking that up, it's yeah. a great. It's a, you know they can't. You don't have one without the other. If it was just one line in Halloween, Scream would have had nothing to go on. You know, so there has to be a fault. So they've they've done that, and then which one of these two gets it first? Because she's looking yeah, for weirdly a enough, it's actually the guy, because like, you think it's going to be the girl because, like, you know, you have the kind of weird, ominous, like, POV shot of her, like, in her pants, like, you know, at the car park, it's going behind the behind her, and she opens the car door, and she's like, mm, that's funny. And then she looks around, but it's actually just the rain star, and it's not um, Jason. Um, so then, like, then it goes back to uh, Mark outside, um, and he's out in the porch. And for me, it's like, I don't know if this was intended as a visual gag, but I think it's a genuinely hilarious visual gag, which is yeah. laugh every time, where Mark's like, you know, like on the chair and he's rolling up to the edge of the stairway. And you have this really, really long shot, which is a kind of POV shot from behind them. And it's sort of getting closer and closer 
and closer and closer to the back of his head. And of course, you're thinking someone's coming in from behind. It's doing this closer and closer and closer. And the machete comes from the front instead and hits yeah. him in the face. <laughs> it's, a, it's a, I don't know, maybe the, the most brutal m- murder of the film. Yeah, probably. I think because it's just so good. Because because like Mark seemed like a nice guy, like, you know, he's not done anything like you know, but you know, like he's been just like you no know, happy go lucky, and then he gets like a machete in the face, so it's so blunt and so brutal, and he has that kind of shot of the stair of like the you know the wheelchair falling down the stairs with him. Yeah, like, like, like a face. brutal one, and like yeah, that we do, it isn't that someone gets macheted and it cuts away, so he gets a machete in the face, and then we get it's a full, like... <laughs> we get a full cut of him, you know, big machete hanging out of his face being shoved down the stairs backwards before we get like oblivioned out by it all whiting out on the screen yeah mm-hmm. um yeah like a real like a real brutal scene this one um and then his his date apologies i didn't have a name in front of me but oh no she is still out looking because next oh, yeah, yeah, the she, couple she, in she bed. dies later on she dies after the couple's skewered yeah so the couple are in bed they've just um They've just finished their sex, but before they can even roll separate, like Jason's timed this perfectly so he can yeah, proper two birds one stone. Like, that water of climax is like, you know, it's like ready, steady, go and get you both speared through the bed. That's them. <laughs> That's them done for. And this is, I mean, it feels like we're rattling through it at this point, but this is where it really escalates. We have had a couple of cuts back and forth towards other people coming home, um, you know, the guys choosing to stay at the bar or yes. head home or what have so, you. Yeah, cuts back and forth at this point between them. But we are we are coming along here where And I will um, say the kind of like skewing in the bed scene is like one, it's like a really quite effective death scene, but I think that's a lift from Bay of Blood. Um, like the Mario Baba movie that had a similar scene with the couple having sex in the bed, and there's again, I think it's a pitchfork in that that gets put through, like you know, the bed, and they keep on having sex after being scared together. Which is... <laughs> so, um... well, might as well die doing what I loved. Um, <laughs> it, it might be Sandra just looking at the at the people here. So Sandra then comes back in. Um, she's looking around, looking for Mark. Hasn't you know checked outside because why would you? It's raining. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she finds the couple. Um. Well, yeah, no, this she... is the first time you see Jason's mask, isn't it? Yeah, because actually we don't see the couple, do we? Because they find that there's something in the bed, and it's yeah. Jason. He's like, thought, I know what I'm going to do here. I'm going to hide the bed. I'm going to, I'm going to pop out, and then she pulls the covers off. Um, uh, it might be Vicky actually. Just looking at the face, obviously people have got more modern photos. Yeah, I reckon this is what yeah. this lady might look like. Are we, think, are we thinking he was lying in the bed waiting for Vicky to come back? Or are we thinking that after he'd done like skewering the couple, he thought that was a bit of like, you know, busy work. I'm not, I'm exhausted. I'm going to go for a wee nap. And he's yeah, it's a, it's a proper Goldilocks like, situation. If yeah, you've eaten too yeah. much porridge and sat at yeah. enough chairs, you're going to be tired. Yeah, so, you know, like, so he goes for a wee nap, then Vicky rudely interrupts him. And if she hadn't, like, you know, came in, if she just, you know, seen there was someone in bed and left them, you know, to be for a wee snooze, maybe all this could have been avoided. Yeah, could have they could have just found him in the morning. It was a bit awkward, but um, uh, yeah. So she she unfurls him and he sits up. You're right. This is where we get the first look at him, and he kind of just hacks her up. Right? Is he got? A, is he still? Yeah, essentially, he gives her a wee slash, and she staggers backwards, and then instead of running away, she just kind of stands at the doorway and goes, "No!" For about two minutes, while he slowly walks towards her, and then yeah. like you know, she he gets out. Him. He makes the bed. He's like, "Well, yeah. come on, got to be ready." Still here. Yeah, I, I mean, like, you know, 
And it's actually like... probably the tamest death as well, because rather than like getting a machete in the face or getting his throat or her throat slit, essentially just like, you know, stabs her in the gut, then like leaves her to slowly die, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess, like, you know, if Jason has the, the mind of a child, you can imagine that there might have been a bit where, you know, when you're a kid and you're playing hide and seek, it's one of the funniest things ever when someone hasn't quite found you. I can imagine Jason in the bed, like, <laughs> hiding under the covers, getting ready to hop out. But um, yeah, he gets... He gets Vicky, and then at this point, um, Paul and Ginny come back. Yep. So Paul and Ginny return. Um, they find, at first, absolutely livid. They're like, state of this place. But he lights oh, a bit. Having puddle of blood there. What they doing here? What's that kind of thing? And Ginny's like, they wouldn't have left it like this. Something's obviously they cleaned going up on the puddle there. of blood. You know, sure. Yeah, they'd, they'd, have, they'd have put the lights. Or they'd have put these games away. Come on, they have a bit more respect for prophecy. Um, and then Jason's amongst it. We it's kind of ambiguous. Paul just gets kind of grabbed and tossed, but it's all very like a frenetic scene here. So it's Ginny running away, she locks herself in the bathroom. Jason comes smash like punching through the window. Um, she climbs out of a window, um, and he like menaces she has a chainsaw. We have Chekhov's chainsaw earlier in the yeah. film that she's using. And then, and then has all she's hidden under the bed, and yeah. Oh, this is what yeah. I think iconic scene in the movie. So we have this chase scene. She gets in the car. It's a soft top, unfortunately. So he stabs that up with a garden fork. Um, and at what, at what point is, is there, there's a bit of a chase and then Paul comes back in there and has a fight with Jason, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, so this is, this is after, because we I don't know, I'd, I'd made an assumption that Paul had been killed off screen, but of course never assumed someone's been killed off screen in something no, like no. this. Um, but this is we have this chase. She's hiding under the bed where... I mean, do you think she wets herself because she was just desperate? She'd been out on the town, or was it the rat that got her, or the Jason situation, or the combination of the three? I think it's probably like first off, like you know, you know, I know alcohol like runs right through you. Like you just probably she was already in the bathroom a little bit, then she's like, she should have just gone for a pee, and then like you know, she goes, you know, well, I'm just gonna let out now. No one's gonna bother about that. Yeah, I'm already tense because this whole Jason thing, and then there's a rat here. Mm-hmm. Um. Be made like, to... you know, I'll, I'll feel better once I've passed. I always do, you know, it's just what I say. But that is a bit of a giveaway. Jason, he's pretty cool about it. He's not going to shame anyone, but he has a look over and you sort of see him. He got the glances when she's, and, you know, you'd be forgiven. He probably sees that from under the bed, but he just sort of hides. Mm-hmm. Um, this is embarrassing for her. I don't know whether he could whisper And this is how she escapes because this is when she pulls chainsaw and then, you know, he's not an idiot. He is spooked when someone comes at him with a chainsaw. He gets kind of. He trips over when she comes at him with a chainsaw and she bashes him with a chair like WWF. <laughs> yeah, you know, this is like, you know, I've given a few more films and Jason's not getting his ass kicked like this. Yeah, he does this. This he has got proper scream energy in this one where, like yeah. Ghostface, he is capable of taking a beating and just being yeah, taken he, out he of He kick him in the nuts and it'll hurt him. Yeah, like this is the one that Kevin McAllister could have had a go at if you'd have swung a painting down the stairs. That would have slowed down this Jason, but not <laughs> not a more modern one. Um, and then with um, so she Ginny runs out into the wilderness. She finds Jason's um, little little murder house that he has, and sees a desiccated older woman's body uh, head rather immediately because as a trained child psychologist yeah, it's important that we learn this yeah, you know, year that... one but obviously they don't learn about the vocabulary um like until year two but year one's all about donning elaborate disguises yeah and being able to like imitate someone personally to you know to yeah. to fool 
a, a mentally scarred I mean, to be child. honest, it's not that good an impersonation. I feel like if Jason was coming after me, I probably could have got away with going, no, oh, Jason, I'm your mother, please <laughs> don't, you know. So, you know, it would oh, work. I do recognise, you know, she is wearing the jumper. I think this is legit. <laughs> yeah, so she sees the head. She sees it like it's almost like a shrine, like surrounded by these other bodies that he's brought there. So very quickly, as any child psychologist would do, she's put those those clues together to go, right, yeah. shove this jumper on. Jason comes in. She goes, oh, mother's talking. You know, at first, it's not going to work, but I think a lesser child psychologist would have bailed on the bit here because at first she's like, oh, mother's mother's very pleased with you, Jason. All the work's done now. And um, he's, he's still making a move on her. He's got like a pickaxe that he's beat his way into the um, house with. And it looks like he's going to get her. She doesn't bail out of it, though. She doubles down. She goes, oh, mother's talking to you, Jason, actually. Don't fuck about now. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the image here, we get kind of a Jason's eye view where he's filling in a lot of gaps. So it like yeah. we like kind of get a wibbly-wobbly effect, and he becomes... Well, sorry, uh, Ginny becomes his mom in the in the jumper. She's conjured her image, um, and she's got the voice down. I was gonna, I was gonna say though, like this is just as an aside here. I'm quite curious. Do you think that Pamela Voorhees was buried in like the kind of like jumper and camping clothes that she was killed in, um, or do you think that um, Jason knew that they were her favorite clothes, so like you know he changed it out of her burial dress after digging up her body to put yeah. it in these. Yeah, maybe he just kept that. Maybe like very quickly he was able to swipe that. Or it does say that you know the legend has it that he's stealing what he needs. Maybe it's it's not her official jumper, but you know, obviously it was it was the fashion of the time. Obviously, so he was able to pick that up just at the local local store. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, or maybe like maybe I'm like I've only seen one of Mrs. Voorhees' outfits. Maybe, Maybe she was like a our whole wardrobe was just these yeah. jumpers. So she's like Charlie. Yeah, she's jumper. like Charlie Brown. You open it up and it's just like a like a, <laughs> like a rail of them. <laughs> so Ginny's put it on and she is she's moving in for it. She's like, right, that he got him. He's tricked. Uh, he's 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 buying it. So she goes through and says, "Oh, Jason, come here and come here and kneel down a second, will you?" And uh, Jason's coming over to kneel down and she's about to like bash him in the head. Uh, and then she unfortunately just steps across a little bit and he sees her actual head and he's like, hang on a minute. If that's my mom's head, and and he's looking between the two for a second and he realises she's been rumbled. um, But that's when Paul comes back. Don't worry, he's not dead. He wrestles Jason a little bit more. They do the weakest kind of knockout ever and go, well... That's the end of that. Let's get you home. Or <laughs> <laughs> just leave. Not even try and tie him up and then just leave him be. Yeah, she does. I guess she does take a bit of a cut in the leg in the, in the yeah. scuffle. So goes, actually, come on. I'll give you some first aid. He takes her back to the thing. And this is where, okay, I guess I'll do it as presented first. So what happens here, sequence of events, they get back to the cabin. Mm-hmm. Um we see a little bit of a a bashing or a knocking of the sounds and they get ready. We get a great um, moment, which I think is another one of the iconic screenshots of the movie where Ginny is like holding the garden fork while Paul goes to the door. They're ready to fling the door open and face Jason or whoever's going to attack them. And it's the the dog, Muffin. Mm -hmm. Little Muffin's there and Muffin hasn't been murdered. 
shame on you if you thought Jason was a dog murderer because Muffin's fine, actually. Uh, but then Jason smashes through the window behind them. He's unmasked because they did, while they didn't tie him up or anything, they did take the time to unmask him when they yeah. defeated him, but not look at his face on camera. No. Jason comes through. Um, we get like a, it's almost like a slow, the film, it doesn't begin in slow motion. It kind of slows to slow motion, right? He comes yeah, to the window it's and it's like, that, yeah, yeah it, like it slows down to a crawl and then fades out. And then we go to the next, immediately the next morning. There is no sign of Paul. There is no sign of Muffin. But Ginny is alive and we see her being picked up by the by the ambulance. Uh, and they're taking her away and she's asking where Paul is. But that's where the movie... But that's where the movie ends. We We don't explicitly see what happened. So... I read. I read in. Oh, sorry. We have a final scene at this point. Well, where... that final shot with the the train. And every single time I watch this movie, I'm convinced that those eyes are going to open up and it's yeah. like, mm, you know, but well, doesn't. Well, that's the thing. I had to look. I had to look this up. So I haven't seen some of the other series for a number of years. So I thought, okay, is it that we find out what happened to Paul in the start of the next one? Is it what's happened? And we do get mention of what happens to Ginny but we never get confirmation. So apparently in interviews and DVD features, there was a different ending. And there's a still that shows Paul with a big scar on his head and uh, and injured. And in the original ending to the movie, um, you would have seen Ginny being taken away by the ambulance and she's asking him what's happening. And we get that shot of Mrs. Voorhees, except the eyes did open. Oh wow. So as you as you imagine, so maybe actually I'm not sure how much they I'm not sure if it is available on the DVD. I've not looked at the features, but then it may be available somewhere. I'm not sure if it was ever released on anything or whether it was. That would have been stills. a genuinely good scare logic be damned. That would have been great if they'd done that. Yeah. But apparently the, the original was that the face was gonna smile and then open the eyes, and then that would be the implication. Never confirmation that you know, you don't see Paul's body with like, you know, an RIP over it or something like that. He is um, like the the eyes opening indicates that yep, yeah, the Jason's got him, he's killed him, and yes. and his mother and the mother is. But apparently, they thought it was silly. They hadn't leaned into the supernatural elements of Jason and wouldn't lean into them for another few movies yet. So they didn't. I mean, to be honest, though, that. it's kind of like uh, I think it would have worked because that wouldn't have needed to be canonical. It could have been like you know a dream sequence, you know, like you know the mutant baby boy pulling it like yeah. pulling her into the water or whatever that could have been yeah I, I would have gone for that ending because at the minute we never get any explanation so yeah. apparently Ginny does get mentioned again I don't know I think I, I had assumed the next film but it's mentioned that she is she was taken to hospital hysterical having uh with multiple stab wounds um but but alive so theories are posed that the last scene where Muffin turns up is part of the hysteria and she roughly remembers that, but she doesn't... But most of that last scene is proposed as maybe a hallucination. So Paul and Muffin were dead and then she just imagined bits of that. She survived the encounter with Jason um, and she just didn't see those things die. So they are fictional things that she that she worked out 
Or it could just be I, that they I changed think, the I think you can see it as being like, you know, I think my opinion would be that, like, that stuff did happen in terms of, like, Paul rescuing her, taking her back to the place. And then, like, I think it still works that maybe, like, Jason then hauled her out the window or whatever, and then maybe, like, Paul tried to run to her aid or whatever, and then, like, more happened after that. Like, maybe she got the stab wounds after, like, you know, um, he hauled her out the window, and then maybe Paul fought Jason some more and died while she got away or something like this. And yeah. obviously, like, Muffin then went back to Jason because, like, Muffin had been well looked after for the first time, like, over yeah. the course of that movie and thought she was better off of him. Yeah, could well, could well be. And then I think the other, you know, love a horror movie theory, I think in some official, like, tallies of the kill counts of the movie, the number of deaths in the movie did not account for Paul. Yeah. So uh, again, was... so yeah, people could people also imply that Paul maybe that stuff with Jason turned out, and Paul just decided I'm going to go back downtown actually and see what Ted's up to. <laughs> see what Ted's up to. Yeah, fuck this. I'm away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See what Ted's. Yeah, but you know, there there we have it. Friday the Thirteenth Explosion Part Two. Um, <clears throat> time to time to rate the movie, uh, John. What's the um, what would you score it as if we don't take the classic school schoolyard rankings of a, I, I'm allowing pluses and minuses here. So A to F, your classic school rankings. Where would you put Friday the 13th Part 2? Um, I would put Friday the 13th Part 2 maybe as a C. I would say, like, you know, it's a passing grade, um, but not great. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go with... You know what? I Maybe I appreciated it more this time, like... I think I've come away feeling that it did do a lot to take singular items in a very well-made film in in like early slashes like Halloween, and it did a lot of groundwork to cement these as tropes. So I'm going to go ever so slightly higher and call this a C plus. It's not the height of the series for me. I think that is to come in a in a sequel or two. Um, you know, and I think that one it really does benefit from the star power you get from a Corey Feldman when we get to part four and things like that yeah. as well. You know, really it's iconic performances. Yeah, but um, there's a lot to enjoy here. I would quite happily like consider Friday the Thirteenth Part One to Four as a as a nice little series. And I'm looking forward to working through this series and getting to the remake again, which I think I don't know. I feel like might be deserving of a critical reappraisal, but. For now, though, Friday the 13th, part two, a C-plus from me. Mm, there we go. So there we go. All that remains for me to say is um, thank you for listening, everybody. If you enjoyed the show, you can become a Patreon over at patreon.com forward slash horror hangout. A thanks to some of our existing Patreons, which include Troy Bush, Nick Spill, Julia Bilgren, Leslie Carlo, Ollie Child, Lane Spencer, Toby Miller, Laura Kendrick, Stephen Christopher, Ben Scaith, John Crinan, Patron Against His Will, and Rosalind <laughs> Panias, and of course, Pazuzu himself. Thank you, everybody, for helping us keep the lights on. Thanks to Taj Easton for our theme music. Thanks to ACAS for holding the show, hosting the show, I should say, not holding it. Um, holding it hostage. Yeah, they are holding it hostage. They're not. They're doing, they're doing fine. We're here. We're healed by our own free will. But um, please consider giving us a rating or review on your podcast platform of choice. Head over to the Facebook group, the Horror Hangout Board of Advisors. We are on any of the socials you would care to mention. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. Have a look for Horror Hangout Podcast. You will find us on there. 
You can join us next week for the Toxic Avenger with John and Sam, the guys behind the upcoming game that you may have seen announced recently. All that remains me to say after that little read uh, is an unscripted part, which is thanks to you, John, for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me on. I love talking horror and chatting movies, so that was a treat for me. Where, where and when can you go and pick up the nasty? The Nasty, uh, issue one, launched in comic shops worldwide on Wednesday, 5th of April, and is releasing monthly from now on. Look for it um, at your local comic shop uh, or online. You can order at various places, I'm sure. And if you've missed it, um, there's a second printing, which is available for pre-order now, so inquire at your comic shop about that. Thank you so much. And where can people find you if they want to keep up with the latest? Oh, wow. People can find me. I have a newsletter that goes out every week um, at deepender.johnleescomics.com that's deep-ender.johnleescomics.com goes out every Friday I've not missed a week since I started in 2017 I've also got a Patreon page of my own on patreon.com forward slash johnlees which includes original short stories reviews, process stuff um, page breakdowns of various comics that I've done, a whole bunch of cool stuff and you can find me on socials uh, Twitter at johnlees927 Instagram at johnlees927 um, the other probably the main ones I've got Hive but is anyone using Hive anymore on that, I definitely have one <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so find me there and also my online shop if you want to check out my stuff is johnleescomics.bigcartel.com brilliant well future Ben or by the time you're listening to this past Ben I'm sure we'll grab those and throw those in the show notes as well thanks once again John thanks to everyone who's listening I will see you all for some Toxic Avenger next week bye for now everybody bye Hey. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.